Welcome to the third series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. I'm Lisa. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and a business owner of It's Time for Change, I'm lucky enough to get involved with so many different aspects of employee engagement and experience. Whether that's about leadership style, mental health, the metaverse, attention and recruitment, after action reviews, or so much more, there is something on this podcast for everyone. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. You'll get to hear from some really interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. I am so pleased to have my guest joining me today because she has had a very rich and diverse experience working in public, private, startup and corporate companies. Some have been less good, but she can't talk more highly about the organisation organization that she's now part of. And all those companies have helped her consolidate an ethos and an approach that really does work. And the awards that I hope we get to hear about today, uh, Sarah, will go uh, to prove that. So thank you very much, Sarah Page, for uh, coming on to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. So you are People Operations Lead at Oomph, yes. an off-grid mobile rapid electric vehicle charging company. It's a bit of a mouthful. And I think it's fair to say that you love it. So today I really want to unpick what makes your experience so awesome how you've gone about creating your role, which you've done very intentionally um, based on what you've learned and the impact that you're having on company, the company's outcomes um, because you've gone about doing what you do with uh, so much awareness. So start by telling us a little bit more about Oomph. So Oomph is a, a, a female founded uh, company. So Maura Kutchin, our founder. So that's the first thing I'd say I'm incredibly proud of because I know it's tough for women in tech. So um, and in terms of the technology, we're really changing the landscape. So the question that Morag was asking herself was, why do we need to be confined by wet fueled ways when we're thinking about charging electric vehicles? Obviously, one of the biggest problems in terms of the take up of electric vehicles is that range anxiety. And Morag's somebody obviously, you know, had a career in design and innovation, thinks really disruptively about these things. And it's about really listening to people's feedback on that score and thinking, like I say, disruptively about how, how you can change that. So why is it that we would we need to go to a fuel stage station? Um, top up and it's a really sort of human centric approach so you know this convenience culture that we live in and, and and really trying to meet those needs as well as the needs of the environment and kind of support this rate race to net zero so that really in a, in a nutshell is what oomph's about and for me as well I, I really love the name oomph the fact that you know you need if you run out of fuel you're going at zero zero miles per hour and when we've charged you you've got a little bit of oomph you know you're back and I just think that that's a really um really fantastic name for a company as well so I really bought into that um and in terms of how I shape my role I've read a lot recently that's really helped to make sense of it for me actually and I'd say having known Morag for 25 years it's played 
quite a a key part in that. You know, I've read around how human resource professionals need to apply design thinking in all that they do. And that's where I came across the title People Operations Lead and, you know, that being the ethos for that. And that, you know, that's the first time I found a title where I thought, oh, my gosh, that's that's me. Um, it's about creating a diverse and inc- inclusive culture where colleagues of all backgrounds, identities, feel a sense of belonging, you know, that you feel heard, supported, respected, given equal opportunities to contribute. And for me also, I attended a brilliant webinar right recently around belonging and recognizing that that's the key to unlocking the benefits of diversity you know so that's really fundamental listening to all of those different perspectives the fact that you know we embrace the fact that we think differently I'm going to say that actually I'm not entirely sure I understand how more (laughs) things but that that's fine that we're all putting those different perspectives together and that's what leads to the innovation if we all thought the same we'd, we'd, we'd never change anything really um so my role sort of looks at managing the employee journey you know developing a people strategy I learned a lot about that when I was working in the not-for-profit sector and you know how you'd engage your staff in that really increasing the employee value um I'm also, I know I say my profile, nerdy about tech, lover of Excel and all of these sorts of things. I've grown up in, you know, in a design household. So not only have I seen products and services being developed, you know, sometimes more than a decade before they go to market. I've actually seen the tools being used evolve, you know, and, and that, I think that's where my love came from. You know, my mum was a graphic designer. I've watched her you know, evolved from using Letraset to design posters and, le- uh, and, and leaflets to, to using a computer. Same goes to, to seeing renderings with marker pens for design concepts to computer-aided design. So really like trying to make sure that people have the tools and the equipment um, to, to, to do their jobs, you know, to make their life easier in that sense, actually, and enjoyable. Um, so yeah, learning around that side of it. But I suppose probably the biggest thing is around feedback and analyzing data. Again, you know, I can draw on examples of you know making sure you're using the data to inform decisions. Again, that was massive in the not not for profit um, organization that I worked for, and I think that that's so important because I think that sometimes decisions can be made when you don't engage with people. It feels kind of detached. Sometimes it can feel almost aggressive. In, in some ways, you know, it's really important that we're listening to how people feel. I feel like there's been a real shift in emphasis from features to feelings, um, you know, in terms of how we're doing doing things, um, you know, from an HR perspective, is it about the compensation and benefits and things like that, those features, or how it makes an individual feel? Um, and I think that that's the most important thing in terms of you know, uh, creating a, a, a great employee experience and then ultimately helping the company to achieve its goals. But I think, again, when you do that, employee experience is about creating opportunities for people to achieve personal as well as professional goals. And I think that that's so important. I think we shouldn't just be thinking about how we can improve people's lives at work. It's how can you improve people's lives in general, really, you know, with this emphasis on on well-being. And when we spoke before, I said about, I don't know, maybe I'm one of few people that really sees the benefits that have come from the disruption of COVID in that sense, that 
health and well-being has been bumped to the top of the agenda and how can we think creatively about um yeah how we help people to get the right work life balance for them it's not like a 50% work 50% life it's about giving people the control I suppose to manage that for themselves and 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 I think that when you do that the rewards are phenomenal and I can draw an example of where our marketing growth lady one of the things that uh, Rachel's really passionate about and challenges herself on is running you know she's run ultra marathons and recently she decided that she wanted to run the length of the country (laughs) um you know and that that was a thousand miles over 33 days I think it was and how can you accommodate that well actually with flexible working you can you know our product at Oomph is about being able to provide people with the charge when and where they need it you know we're about providing our employees with the opportunity to work when and where they feel most productive And then recognize that sometimes the experiences in life can have real benefits for your business as well. The lessons that Rachel learned from running the country, and she wrote a fantastic article about it, you know, have really brought benefit to the business as well. So, yeah, I don't speak highly enough of that, that sort of thing. Sarah, you have covered so (laughs) much. (laughs) We could just go home now. Honestly, what you've just touched on so many things. Going back to what you're saying about diverse thinking, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? When people talk about diversity, mm-hmm. people often think about, you know, is it um, gender? Is it the color of your skin? You know, what is it we're kind of focusing on? And I think people often forget the just the simplicity of actually going back to basics about who are we uh, recruiting? Who's on our team? how diverse are we in terms of how we look at the world and how we interpret it and what we take from it, what we need from it. And just having diversity in in thinking really stimulates innovation rather than we'll have those those people on our team because they're like us. And you end up just having these these groups of people who just, it's almost that group think way of working. And, And I love that sense of being disruptive which comes from actually having different ways of thinking, different um, mm-hmm. the way your brain works just being different. And I think that really plays into that whole um, neurodiversity agenda brilliantly because it's actually people who think differently have really got an amazing place now in companies. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the things that I learned from um, an NLP coaching course that I did, so thinking about the neuro-linguistic programming, one of the things that really struck a chord with me was around the impact labels can have mm. in terms of, you know, people's perception. You know, in the example that you've just given there about neurodiversity, you know, I've had comments of, oh, you know, so-and-so's on the spectrum. <laughs> The reality is we all are, and actually our differences are our strengths if you embrace them. Um, so, it, you know, like you were saying, I suppose, um, you know, people that are uh, dyslexic tend to be really creative thinkers. Um, there are real benefits to embracing those different ways of thinking. Um, and, I, yeah, it just helps you think outside the box. And I think that's why I really, you know, really find Morag very inspiring because he's somebody that 
you know you face the challenge or you feel constricted in any way shape or form morag is someone that just that instantly makes her just want to break free from that you know well how do we change it that's a problem and really redefining those problems as, as challenges and then working towards solutions so having a really solutions focused mindset you know we don't do problems we only do solutions that's that's what we're about and then that makes it really exciting because you're changing landscapes you know you're you're breaking down barriers and for me as a people professional it's just fantastic when you see role models like that and and how that's going to inspire the next generations yeah I the, when you have your a, a solution focused mindset rather than just focus on the problems it makes such a difference doesn't it in terms of people mm-hmm. being able to think creatively and I remember you said once something along the lines of when you're brainstorming people aren't allowed to say no or um, kind of shut down ideas it's actually that sense of um, you know someone's got something to say or an idea we have to just build on and if we can just keep a positive focus in terms of rather than you know what's not going well actually what could we do better how could it be better and there's none of this that's not really going to work because or you know past experience says or and actually we just say how can we build on that how can we make that work so what's the what's the potential here and when you when you have those kind of rules within a team which is about we're going to ban these words we're going to ban this approach to thinking and yes we'll all fall into those traps because that's almost how we're built you know we we identify and we highlight problems but actually to be able to say hang on a minute how can we turn that into a solution focused conversation or how that that idea does sound really off the chart but how could we look at making that become a bit more of a possibility how can we tweak that to make it become something that we could actually consider um using so I think that whole mindset and you talk a lot about that makes such a difference it's what I've been brought up on to be fair so those are the kind of conversations around the dinner table you know any challenges that you faced you know growing up that actually you know, inspired one of the questions that I used to ask at interview a lot, which was talk to me about a time where you, you know, you were facing a challenge and you've managed to convert that to an opportunity. No. And, um, you know, it's just something that I've learned growing up. And I think in innovation, you know, mistakes are just as important as the successes. You know, in fact, that often mistakes end up being the biggest innovations. And I was always encouraged to share my ideas and thoughts and told that there's no such thing as a bad idea, actually. You know, sometimes the silliest idea bounced around a a group of people end up to be the best innovations if you've got that brainstorming mentality. If you're in an environment where you shoot people's ideas down, actually you discourage people from participating and then you're not going to create a sense of belonging. That's the bit that's fundamental. And I think for me, actually, that that seminar that I, I mentioned to you, when I reflected on my previous experiences, it, it was really valuable. You know, when where, where, where are the places that you've worked where you felt a sense of belonging? Why was that? Where are the places that you worked where you didn't feel you belonged? Why was that? 
And it it's really powerful when you look at that because it's it's as I say, the key to unlocking the benefits of diversity and inclusion. Everybody's got a valuable contribution to make. And I think that there are some places that I've worked, I would say, particularly in the not-for-profit um sector, really valuing everybody's contribution, regardless, you know whether you were a senior manager or an intern. And in fact, you know, the internship program that we did in the not-for-profit organization was phenomenal. And, and the interns, what we valued the most was their fresh perspective. You know, they're, they're coming at this with, with fresh eyes. They're going to think about things differently. Um, that was also an organization where we recruited people globally, you know, from around the world. So you had all of those different cultural backgrounds and experiences some of the challenges that people had overcome when they were delivering their PhDs and things like this as well. I mean, to me, actually, working there doing interviews, it was a bit like interviewing David Attenborough on a daily basis. Yeah, it really was. These people were so passionate about saving the environment, providing the information and the data to support the decisions on that. So there was a real sense of purpose, like a higher purpose. That was a reason that we exist. And it created this environment where people wanted to share their knowledge, you know, that that and that in itself is really powerful leadership as a competency as well, not not as a position, you know, leadership in everything that we do. And, you know, when I look back, that was one of the places that I felt I really belonged and testimony to that. I mean, one of the funny things is that um, <laughs> I became well known for my running man dancer. That's where that that started. And, and, you know, that's a real sign that I could be myself. And that was just that I was excited. You know, if I made an offer to someone and they accepted it, it was like, yay, you know, happy about that. Um, there were just so many things about that organisation in terms of the values. And that running man kind of started because it was collaboration and listening. So it was stop, collaborate and listen, you know, <laughs> respect, all of these things. And when you get that right, the impact that it has is just amazing because you create this, this uh, you know, connections, actually. You know, um, I, I often refer to that if, if Carlsberg made colleagues, actually, they would they would look at that organisation and, and, and that would be what, you know, that would that would be the ideal model in terms of that. So I think that we have a lot to learn, I think, from those types of organizations charities not-for-profits actually when you look at that there is that real sense of purpose you're doing something for the greater good and how how that impacts your fulfillment I suppose the only counter that to that was when you're working in conservation it can be quite difficult because it would be maybe 100 plus years before you actually see the impact so you have to be mindful of that when you are um, you know thinking about how you engage and create a good experience for employees and I think that the connection side of it that belonging creating opportunities for people to connect is, is so so important and I think that when I think about belonging the friends that I still have today that were originally colleagues those are the places where I really belonged and I think it's really interesting isn't it because you talked a lot today already about how the person you are today and how you have shaped your role how you show up is very much a reflection on your whole upbringing and your whole experience mm -hmm. and so it's really clear it comes across very strongly that you are someone who learns you reflect you 
bring to the table what has worked for you. And I think sometimes we aren't encouraged enough. You know, it sounds like you do it quite naturally, but I think sometimes we could do more to encourage people to say, actually, what works well for you? What do you know makes you buzz? What is it that you want to get from this particular role? What do you think will make the biggest difference? Um, and just asking the kind of the questions about what what is it that people want to be able to do based on what they've done in the past that they know really works well and we don't we tend to just have people in a, come into a particular role and they've just got to fit into that role and it's almost like we ignore what's gone before rather than bringing with them everything about who they really are and all their passion and just everything they've learned and I think you it sounds like you've just done that so very well in terms of uh yeah just that self-awareness and and I'm sure that that is something that you create opportunities for in the environment that you're that you're in currently yeah and I think do you know what you probably saw this and I know that it was something that was circulated on LinkedIn that was so so powerful was the photograph of the Paralympian standing next to his wheelchair under the water and for me that's what it's about as in the not-for-profit organization actually some commercial organizations that I've worked for too when you get that environment right actually that's when you really support people to achieve their their full potential so I kind of yeah I've learned from that and I think what I also recognize is I'm me right so um what works for me isn't necessarily what's going to work for another person and then that goes back to that design thinking and the importance of being open to feedback and actually really listening to people because again for diversity and inclusion actually one size doesn't fit all one size fits one and I think that you know it's going to be a real challenge for leaders and you know people professionals because how do you recognize um individuals you know and that being again very important and I think that where you've got that higher purpose actually so in the not-for-profit organization we were really good at actually looking about well, what is what do we do as a company um you know how, how does it contribute to the greater world how does each team contribute to the company how does each individual contribute to the team and when we were looking at that and looking at people's achievements um we were having discussions around you know and what behavior do you think helped you to, to achieve that outcome and really um sort of emphasizing the shared values that we have and how it's helped us to achieve success and framing you know you know the things that didn't go so well you know as, as the learning opportunities and then having open forums so we used to have tea and cakes once a week where you'd share some of that stuff you know share what maybe didn't go so well with that project and talk collectively about well what do we think we could learn from that if we had something how would we do it differently if we had the same opportunity again and that is again like I say it's so powerful we are humans at the end of the day we're not robots we 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 often forget that we expect people to rock up at a certain hour on a certain day for a meeting and it's a formal it feels quite a formal meeting we're all on zoom or teams or whatever and um we've got to bang out our ideas we've got to just solve some problems and then walk out the room and then just carry on and we don't create 
the, the right space, the right environment for people to be able to connect and to um, kind of learn about, you know, take take uh, situations that have happened that haven't gone really well and turn those into positive opportunities and to celebrate what people have done well and all that kind of the stuff that would normally happen if we were face to face more got lost I think a lot during um sort of the remote working period and and people even though when people have gone back to the office it's almost like people are still on this uh kind of convey about of we've just got to be really efficient at doing business and we've got to just you know we structure our meetings we don't really allow time between the meetings to have any downtime to reflect or anything we are going bang 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 we get to the end of the day and then we're exhausted where's where's the opportunity to have those kind of really good conversations whether it's over cake like you were doing or whether when for me I'll just um I'm working remotely I will say actually I don't want to chat to someone on over zoom let's have a walk and talk and I'll be plodding through the fields with my boots on and talking to whoever wherever they are in the country and it's so much easier just to have a more natural conversation and just to have those pauses because you're not staring at each other and and you haven't you don't it doesn't feel like you've got such a fixed agenda and I think we often end up being too driven to kind of solve stuff or reach specific targets or cover whatever's on this agenda without having those moments as you say just to discuss what what mistakes have we made but how how can we share and how can we learn from that and what opportunities have come up and just the stuff that actually contributes to feeling of psychological safety which you're describing so well yeah I, it's it's absolutely paramount that 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 side and you know I go back to what I love about working at so much is the disruptive thinking and opportunities that that creates to you know think outside the box the opportunities that that covid has created in terms of the revolution in working practices that is taking place as a result but then it is difficult isn't it because as you've described actually we were all working in isolation um during that period and for me i was I was really lucky, actually. I, I decided to take a career break. I took that opportunity, you know, with lockdown to study a new skill, to, to study bookkeeping and to do that whilst my two children were homeschooling. So we had this little setup at the dining table with my children either side of me. And I was like, feeling proud of myself for creating a little learning environment at home and achieving a new quali- qualification. And then the opportunity presented itself to work for the local district council. And I I can't speak highly enough about that experience. And what I really want to emphasize is the fact that the team I worked in, with the exception, I think, of one or two existing employees, was recruited entirely remotely. And it is the best induction that I've ever had. On, on my day one, the, the, the manager sent an email to each team member asking them to book half an hour in my diary to have a team school. And that the agenda for this team school was just to get to know one another. But then the very first team meeting that we had, I already felt like I belonged because I'd had a half an hour conversation with each of these people and I really got what they were about. And then for that team, the focus was supporting businesses and communities through COVID, you know, supporting businesses with with grants and that sort of thing. So a real higher purpose 
again. Um, and I, I learned such a, a, a big amount from that experience. And the fact that, again, it's about the tools that we have at our disposal. So, yes, we've got this remote working, but we've got things like Zoom, we've got Team, we've got all of these different ways that we can collaborate. So it's about thinking about what's going to work best for you um, and ensuring that you're in regular communication. And we we had a daily meeting in that team. Some of it was to do with what priorities that we had coming up, but some of it was about mindfulness as well in terms of how are you? Is everybody okay? How's everybody feeling? You know, to make sure that we're, you know, we're, yeah, we're okay and you're managing that side of it. So I learned a lot from that experience that I think is really relevant to the future of work, actually, and how things are evolving. And I absolutely loved the flexibility of that role. Again, it was again, it was it was flexi time. Again, I was joking with my husband about the, the nightmare of the commute. You know, I tripped over the dog on the way down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I make my cup of tea and having my breakfast, and I'm already looking at my emails, you know, that side of it. But the people that I met there, again, the colleagues that have become friends, I'm still invited to meetings every now and again where they say, oh, you know, would it be great to get together with some of the casual workers that we had working in the team and have a nice, you know, cup, cuppa, a virtual cuppa, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I just, again, um, give you that warm, fuzzy feeling. And of the places that I've worked, I would say that the not-for-profit and the local government would be the places where I really you know they really got belonging right and you know and and trying to sort of pick out what it is about that and I and I do think that that sense of purpose is is so so important because I would say the counter to that in terms of some of the commercial organizations that I've worked for is that bottom line mentality and and for me that just creates low quality relationships you know, distrust, um, yeah, dissatisfaction, disagreements. And, you know, my view is always that if you take care of those people in your charge, the bottom line will take care of itself. Um, Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's what my mantra is all about, you know, get people right, get business right. And I think, um, you know, hearing you use the word kind of makes you feel when you get work in the right place you feel fuzzy you have that lovely fuzzy feeling and it's really interesting hearing you say that because I'm imagining there'll be like people going well that's not work we don't want people feeling fuzzy here we want people just getting on with their job and you're like you're missing the point if people love what they do and are happy with what they do and I know from knowing you for a number of years and and um just the amount you enjoy working in the you know the, when you worked in the district council when you're working with um when you're working with the companies who you love mm-hmm. working with they bring out the best in you and you know and and testament to that is is the fact that you've at oomph already there have been um awards and they have been th- there have been opportunities that have come around because of who you are and what you're bringing to it because you can go and you are just happy and you have you can use your passion you can use what you've learned you have to some degree a free reign in terms of creating a role that really delivers rather than trying to fit you into a pre-existing role that might not quite be what it needs to be but no one's actually taking the time to think about it yeah absolutely 
And I think with oomph as well, I mean, just to, um, uh, you know, I mentioned before that I, I studied bookkeeping during lockdown. So I also do the bookkeeping at oomph. So there was this opportunity for me to really combine all of the skills and experience that I've gained over the years and mm. in in one in one place and and to really feel recognized and valued for that contribution because Morag approached me to work for her you know we've known each other for a long time so for me I can't tell you how proud that made me feel um about being invited to be part of that exciting journey um, and then I think sometimes as well, you know, we're a startup. So we're two directors, two employees, two non-exec directors. We're not restricted by our roles. Yes, I've got a job title. People operations doesn't kind of include, you know, show that I do the, the bookkeeping side of it as well. But but Rachel, the marketing lady, and I have also, you know, submitted lots of applications in terms of the, the, the awards and, and funding opportunities and things like that. Um, and again the result of that is just phenomenal you you reap the rewards of, of the time that you invest um and when you give people a bit of a free lane rain like that what, what what i've personally learned for that is so valuable just not just to me but to the to the business you know like when you're looking at the funding side about what what you know investors are, are looking for actually again it's it's not the bottom line you know, it's 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 much bigger than that now. You know, it's about ESG targets. It's about, you know, the social, economic and environmental impact that you're going to have. And actually, when you've got those targets or aspirations, you know, actually your employees feel proud to work for you. And, you know, customers as well, you know, want want to buy from you because you've got that that higher purpose. And it, and that really fits with the conversation I was having with um, Sophie and Alice of The Joyful last week on this podcast, who, um, despite being in marketing, um, I think it was, um, I think it was Alice who said, uh, I hate marketing. I, you know, and I'm like, oh. but because she's like, actually, people tend to think of it in a very traditional role, whereas they were talking about ESJ, they, they were talking about their kind of how they give back and how they... Um, explore with companies much more than what companies think they need when they ask for something in marketing it's like it's not we're not talking about how to make you look good we're talking about how you can actually do good and then we'll help you communicate that and actually that fits so well into that sense of who you belong to that you know we are all here with a shared passion and really it's something that's really meaningful in terms of our purpose and that is the thing that drives us now I think so much and I'd be really interested to know a bit more about how you because you've had that lovely opportunity of, of shaping your role so if there are people who are in an HR or a kind of a, a people role now who have just been doing the role for a while or they have um, perhaps landed the role but have just been told this is how we do it here what would you encourage them to think about differently because obviously how you're going about this you've you're looking through your role with a particular lens mm -hmm. what would be the biggest kind of messages for those people in terms of actually maybe put the kind of traditional rule book aside and think a bit more about I don't know being disruptive or you know just thinking outside the box what would you say are the kind of 
biggest differences between you and those HR people that you could share? So I think the most important thing, and again, learning from the not-for-profit sector when we were developing the people strategy, is just encouraging everybody to be involved in that. But also, on a regular basis, we used to do an HR effectiveness survey. You know, and I think I've mentioned to you before about um, a story I read about um, a CEO who asked for feedback. And it was around, you know, it can be really simple. Your questions could be, what are we doing that we should stop doing? What aren't we doing that we should start doing? What are we doing that's, you know, adding value that we should continue doing? And actually, just by asking those three simple questions, you get a really big insight into what your people need from your service. Mm. you know what 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 fits one organization isn't going to fit all I think it depends on the nature of your business and some really great examples of that and I think sometimes because you can you can become a slave to process (laughs) sometimes and when I suppose one of the other things that I'd say is I had a director who used to have MBWA in her diary. And I can remember asking, what does that stand for? And it was management by walkabout. And I know that that's difficult in this kind of homework environment, but her message was walk the floor, listen to people, talk to them. And the number of times there was a perception at senior leadership that there was a, you know, or there's a, a personality clash or, you know, that that's effectively, you know, that that's what they thought was causing a problem. But then when you take the time to actually walk the floor, listen to people, um, you realise that a lot of those challenges are as a result of systematic issues. Mm. And that actually, if you had adopted an approach where you had a challenge to go, right, who are the key stakeholders in this challenge? Let's get them all in a room. Who's the decision maker? Let's have a brainstorm. Mr. Decision maker, which solution shall we go with? Job done. And I've seen some situations where, you know, when you're talking about software and the the backlogs or issues in production because, you know, the mechanical design engineers haven't really thought about the process of building it in production, you know, the materials used and how complicated that might make it. So, I think it's just really important to listen to your people. And I think I've listened to a few of your podcasts, actually, Lisa, where it's talking about listening programs and, you know, pulse surveys and you name it. The more things that you can do like that. But I think that people tend not to like surveys. So I think it's 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 a, it's a really tricky balance. So if you can try and make it fun in, in some ways, like maybe throw in a few questions that are around the belonging side, you know, so that you you're sharing a few anecdotal things as well along the way uh, so that everybody's building a picture of, of your culture as well. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd be quite interested to hear what somebody else's thoughts were on, on that side too. I think um, you know, some of the questions you were just suggesting that would be good to ask about, you know, what do we do that we should just stop doing or what could we do better and, and so on really overlaps with what um, Emma Browning was talking about a while ago in a podcast about um, stay interviews and I couldn't agree more with you about I'm not um, a fan of surveys if if you have if you're in a big organization and you have to just because of numbers then fine but get the right survey with the right questions Um, but actually you you cannot beat conversation and even if I'm using a 
survey type tool with a one-to-one with someone we never just would just run through the, the questions it's always like you know this is what I want to know now and you give me your kind of your answer that if you were writing down you would give me now tell me what you really mean now tell me why you've said that now tell you know give me the context around it because without the context we make assumptions based on how someone else's answer fits in with our understanding of the world so we need that information you can only really get that through conversation so I love that sense of MBWAs and I think that's something that actually all managers could and should be doing with their teams and not doing it over a video call if you work remotely because lots of people do not like sitting it being formal having to look at someone they feel too much on the spot so actually doing a walk and talk which you can do remotely without any cameras means that some people find that so much easier to open up and just say this is how it really is because I don't feel like I'm being scrutinized I can say something without looking at the other person's faces and trying to work out what they they're thinking so I think there's lots of opportunities to build that and get the feedback and have these quality conversations if people see it as a priority. Yeah, and I think that you can think creatively sometimes about when you've got some of the challenges that you're facing. Um, you know, something that we did uh, again. I, I refer back to the not-for-profit because I, I learned. I actually think that I was, you know, that that um, navy advert where you were born wherever you were born, but made in the navy. Yeah. I, I feel like that way, exactly that way around you know the not-for-profit, and and think that I wouldn't be the people professional I am now had I not had that amazing experience. And some of that was about the fact, okay, we've got this initiative, we need to introduce a new ERP system. Again, who are the stakeholders? Let's identify, ask people if they want to be involved and um, have employee representatives, actually. So you're not asking for survey feedback, you're having people champions, if you like. Um, And the learning opportunities for them as well. So we used to try and encourage maybe your your more junior staff to, to take on those responsibilities, actually um, to make a contribution on those projects, to act as the spokesperson for their particular area on that and really listen to that feedback. Um, and I just think it adds value in so many different ways. It's not just about what you're de- delivering, it's about how you're doing that. Mm. So, you know, another example of that was um, the informatics team there. I, I, I did a lot of a lot of work with them and understanding how you solve problems with with software. Often you would do a sprint. That's the terminology that you'd use. You'd go away for a week, you'd focus on that backlog, and then you yeah. And we tried to apply the same principles when we were developing our people strategy. So we were asking questions about what it is that you like most about working here. If it was the things that you could change, what would they be? Um, And we did it like a sprint with post-it notes on a wall where we invited staff to come in, add to a post-it note or elaborate on it. And then from all of the comments people made, we identified what are the common themes as in, what are we doing really well that we want to continue doing? What's not adding any value that we should stop doing? And it was really powerful and also really rewarding. I mean, I loved seeing a post-it note. My interview was really fun and an exclamation mark because for me that was like great because it is a fun place to work, you know, and it, it's important. 
not just in terms of the questions that you're asking at interview and the answers that you're getting. Actually, you're standing there interviewing with a manager. It creates an impression how you and the manager are interacting with one another. And my my favourite, favourite example of this, and the, the manager will probably listen to this podcast and kill me, but it was where we had a project in, in Abu Dhabi and a candidate had asked a question about it. And the line manager responded and it started with Abu Dhabi do. And I just had fits of hysterics because well, like, you didn't realise Fred Flintstone was going to be interviewing you today, did you? But, you know, that's about being real and authentic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And people have come back to me to say, do you know what? You were like the face of, of the organisation for me. You were the first person that I met. And often, Lisa, it was like this because I was interviewing people around the world. So it was over Skype. Um, and the fact that the way I was behaving and my personality, that, that those traits as an individual acted as a unique selling point was you know that's that's what gives me my sense of fulfillment and I'm so proud to look on that website which I do from time to time and see people that I was involved in recruiting as interns now as senior program officers and you know that you've recognized that potential and that the environment is so great there that they've achieved their full potential Mm. you know I think there's a a lot to be to be said for that I think um you know that bit about being authentic you just being able to show up as you uh is awesome I always say to people what you see is what you get with me like if you because you read if you read um stuff on paper and you just think oh child psychologist blah 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 it's all a bit kind of like not sure what you're going to get and is it all a bit formal or um you know that kind of cliche am I I going to be analyzed and all that you know Mm. sort of serious stuff and I'm like no that's just not me if you get to know me or as soon as we have a conversation actually you'll realize that I'm just me and this is how I show up in in any situation I am in so it's not about putting on a kind of professional front it's like actually this is what you get and when you can be authentic you're not only communicating to everyone else a really important message about what it's going to be like to work with you, because actually I can get a sense of what that relationship is going to be like already, but it massively improves your own sense of uh, well-being and just your own enjoyment of your role. Uh, because when you're, you know, when you can just be yourself, you're not having to keep up this facade of trying to be the person who has all the answers or um, has to kind of behave in a particular way to give a certain impression actually if you can just be you it makes showing up to whatever you're showing up at so much easier <laughs> and and that's something that so many when I've run workshops on that with with leadership they're like oh I hadn't really thought about actually who I really am and what is it that people really need from me what is it my team needs from me well actually they just need someone that they can come and talk to if they're feeling stuck on something, come and share a good idea with, admit if they've made a mistake, talk about what's really going on for them. That means they need to connect at an emotional level and have that that really good relationship. They don't need me to be all official and professional and kind of telling them what to do and, you know, fulfilling a particular position. It's that comes back to that sense of belonging in those relationships. Yeah, and I think too... um... So when I reflect on my own journey, um, you know, I think 
I think I, f- I found it hard when I was doing my A-levels. Um, and, yeah, I think that it was when I went to university that I sort of really learned my learning style, that actually I'm not somebody that can remember things from regurgitating facts from a textbook, but if I'm to sit with a room of students and we're discussing a topic, I can remember what each and every person has said about that. Um, but I didn't get the grades originally that I needed to get to go to the university I wanted to go to. And I didn't accept now as an exam, uh, as an answer effectively, I'd, I, I took a year out, I gained some work experience. I got people to write me references in terms of, you know, my, my capabilities. And I went to the admissions person and presented these and talked about how I really wanted to study human resources that I didn't get the grades but I'd worked in an HR environment and here's the feedback that I received and I got in and I came out with my 2-1 degree my CIPD qualification so not only did I sort of overcome that objection but I I beat a fear as well my fear of exams and you know the blank sheet of paper Mm. how to do that and it's kind of, I suppose, my mantra is a bit like the who wants to be be a millionaire. It's like, actually, you don't need to know all the answers. <laughs> Use a lifeline, phone a friend. And that's really the philosophy that's got me through life. Actually, if I don't know the answer to something, generally I know somebody who will or they'll know somebody who will, like the six degrees of separation. And I think that that's what's earned me the respect in my career is my curiosity you know, I don't mind if I look a bit silly sometimes. I don't know. Actually, that's quite good. At, you know, just showing an interest. So how does that work then? And, and why does that happen? And um, that, yeah, I think I've seen that that helps people to feel really valued too because you're you're taking that interest. And I think for a little while, I almost felt like a bit of a fraud because I was thinking – Actually, this, these are all the ideas of the workforce. This is the result of the management by walkabout. Um, I'm a facilitator in that sense, a communicator, but actually it's down to all of you providing me with your feedback and being open and honest that we've we've got to where we are. Um, so I think that that would be one of my messages to managers as well, is get to really know who people are as, as well as what they can do um, and, and really help to build those connections and ask questions and as a manager also don't be frightened to say actually do you know what I don't know the answer to that we're in unprecedented times I mean unprecedented I think was the word that I heard used the most (laughs) during the whole pandemic and that was the point is that we haven't experienced anything like this before and that's when you really value the benefit of disruptive thinking because this is this is all new there isn't anything that we can refer to for guidance and advice in terms of how this has been done before the best way to overcome this challenge is really to try and get as many people together different thought processes and really try and brainstorm how we move forward um yeah so that that because I feel sometimes particularly when you look at government I get a bit frustrated that sometimes when you look at the central government that actually you see so much time it's about the problems being passed around you know the reasons why we can't do something and the reasons why something won't work and and I I get frustrated by that because that's again you know somebody role model 
versus I suppose you look at someone I, I speak so highly of and love Gareth Southgate for the change in culture that he's brought around with the England team and and the key ingredients for that you know what he stands for the fact that he won't be defined by the fact that he's missed a penalty actually it's about everything that he's done after that and the environment that he creates so again I go back to that role model scenario and your mantra if you get people right you get business right that's what it's all about it's it's not rocket science is it? it's not and actually I've also got that phrase not rocket science on my website because it's like really and I think what I wanted to ask you as well about actually you know we're talking a lot about people and about um actually the necessity for really good communication and I know you said once um, about you talk about culture ad yes. rather than fit for culture. And I was just thinking about actually that kind of culture bit and how that fits with strategy as well. And, um, you know, whether this almost goes back to what we talked about earlier as well about your role. And if this is just lands on one person's desk to sort out this people stuff or this culture stuff, or actually does it need to be a kind of um, all-encompassing strategy that everyone's part of? And you've you kind of touched on that today, but what do you mean? Tell us a little bit more about that kind of difference between culture ad or fit for culture and, and how that might fit with um, strategy. So it really, I suppose, boils down to the unconscious bias. I think when you're looking at culture fit, there's a tendency to recruit people like you and people that think like you, that that's that unconscious bias side. When you challenge yourself to recruit for culture ad, you're trying to look for people that think differently to you because that's going to help you evolve your culture. So culture, a bit like design, if you apply design thinking to it, it's kind of iterative. You know, you, you don't have one culture. Your culture is going to evolve. And, and actually it needs to. If we refer back to the COVID situation, those people that have got that right actually survived COVID with very few scars. And, and actually it was quite simple for them to adapt to that because they'd already got the right culture in place and probably lots of different you know ways of thinking that allowed them to achieve that success. But it goes back to that diversity and inclusion as well, doesn't it? Challenging those unconscious biases. So, you know, I think about what Morag's doing as a, a, a female founder in tech is challenging gender stereotypes. That's what we're about. And that's why I find that really exciting, actually. It goes back to what we were talking around on the neurodiversity side. If you want to recruit for culture ad, actually all of a sudden you're going to be looking at those people going, great, that's going to be a creative person. Great, this person's going to be, you know, you're looking at what everybody can can bring. You know, ultimately when we're thinking about that spectrum, I kind of want to change the narrative of, oh, so-and-so is on the spectrum. It's like, great, they're at this part of the spectrum. That's brilliant because we've got people, you know, here and the, and the, the more diverse that is, the better. Again, they... I suppose the counter to that or the challenge, like I say, is that when you have so many different thoughts and, and contributions, sometimes it can be hard to reach a consensus. <laughs> and that's difficult, but it goes back to the philosophy of if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. 
And I think that sometimes we can have that mindset where we go, well, we haven't got time. We haven't got time to do. Let's just do this. I think you've got to be quite careful um, Mm. with that mindset. And it goes back to, uh, I suppose, transparency on that side too. I've been in actually one of my favorite projects that I did was where we'd had to be quite secretive around um, research and development. But then I was asked to tell the story afterwards and told the story about what had inspired the new product range and how each team had contributed to that. Did a great big poster at the end of it with one of our values of teamwork and then the diagrams going off in terms of how each team contributed, how each supplier contributed. And people often came back to ask me for a copy of that, that poster. The important thing was that I couldn't talk to employees about it at the time, but the minute that we could, an effort was made to tell that story and engage and to ensure that people really understood the contribution that they'd made to that. I love your, um, you know, the references to telling stories because I know uh, Amanda Page, I've done some work with uh, around change and supporting companies particularly leadership teams leading change well and part of that is about um telling the story and if you're working with a a a team of people on developing a sense of identity and who they are and how they want to operate and so on actually how do you communicate that do you just send an email saying this this and this or do you do it as a as a story that people can listen engage with and they feel part of you know people like stories like they like conversations it's kind of something they can buy into and it's meaningful and it's so much it's so powerful when you get that communication right it goes back doesn't it to communication um just that something that people can really relate to I think um and that's just knowing what people are like in your organization you know do they want um what kind of what kind of narrative do they like what sort of what what drives them what is it that's going to um, spike their interest and I, I think you're uh, you give us some really good examples of that I think storytelling is massively important I think that we talk about it a lot in marketing and branding and I think that the whole ethos of people operations is employees are your customers that's the way that you view it so actually you know the podcast that you've recently done and the opportunities that I have to coll- collaborate with Rachel on marketing growth I've found really valuable and actually if we keep that mindset our employees are our customers not robots human human resources listen to their their wants needs desires and think creatively about how you can support them to achieve that um you end up with a really loyal workforce who you know, works really hard for you, you know, that productivity and all of those things. You can't bully people into submission. You've you've got to take them on the journey. So Um, what would be, Sarah, your key messages for either leaders or mm -hmm. people who are responsible, you know, maybe in an HR role or have a sort of people role? What would be your key messages to them to take away from this conversation? I think first and foremost, actually, from an interview that I saw with Gareth Southgate, actually, was around the authenticity, which we've already talked around. And the uh, article that I read on LinkedIn was around the CEO who asked his direct reports for some positives and negatives about him. 
and found the experience incredibly hum humbling. He talked about the fact that he had three positives <laughs> and 21 negatives. But he realized that he could put those 21 negatives into three different buckets. Bucket one was those things I'm aware of and I'm already working on. Bucket two was things that are my blind spots. Thanks so much for pointing out those things to me. These are the areas that I'm going to develop. And bucket number three was those things I simply disagree with. The problem that I see is that often the things that leaders simply disagree with don't get spoken about. And it's really important in this example, he talked about the fact that, um, yeah, it was important to have conversations around those elements because there's a perception that exists. Why does that perception exist and how can I change it? And what this CEO ended up doing was creating a really open and transparent culture because his direct reports then completed exactly the same exercise with their direct reports and so on. And it really helped people to understand and build, you know, it's, it's about developing self-awareness, I think. So for me, if I was to say one of the most fundamental things, because I think I've seen in cultures where managers can be aggressive I don't think it's intentional I think it's a lack of self-awareness so for me actually that would be one big step that I think that that leaders and managers more people can take is to really invite that feedback and open your window to that feedback the blind spot side of it is it's brilliant you know someone talks to you, you go actually yeah that's a really good point and then that's something where you can feel that you're moving forward making progress and and, and developing and then I think it's about, um, I suppose, what we've learned about the, the power of disruption in terms of what we're we're talking about. Be open to new ideas. I think that sometimes there's this illusion that um, with control, <laughs> that that's power, when the real power comes from disruptive thinking and actually listening to all of those different thoughts, processes, engaging everybody in in, in that thinking around how we can yeah improve the tools all of that stuff every facet and 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 not to be limited in terms of you know improving somebody's work life thinking holistically about how we can support each other to be the best version of ourselves i think awesome advice <laughs> i mean i know from all the conversations we've had in the past sarah there's you you have learned and you have you apply so much in terms of Oh, creating the best environment, best experience for yourself, but also those people around you. And um, we could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, our time is up. <laughs> um, really good advice. I would. Are you happy for people to contact you if they want to unpick some of these ideas a bit more? Yeah, of course. Now, this is also a really good question that my last guest, Sophie and Alice, from the joyful ask they give me a blind question for you but I think it fits brilliantly with um everything you've been talking about today so they asked what advice would you tell your younger self in the early stages of your career now bearing in mind the experience you've had um actually it'd be really interesting to know what you think about this in terms of what what advice would you have given yourself in your early stages you know, I'm going to steal a piece of advice that somebody actually gave me when I was 
traveling Australia, which was a really real, a, a massive turning point in my life. And I think that it was to do with the fact that it was just me and my backpack and I wasn't trying to fit in. I was myself. And talking to this lady around that, she said to me about how experiences in life are lessons or gifts. And I tell myself that that often that, yeah, you know, good experiences and bad experiences. They're all character building. They all, you know, it, I suppose it goes back to, again, yeah, what we were saying about you focus on a problem, focus on a on a solution it's yeah taking on board that challenge and using it to create an opportunity um, and yeah. that's a lovely example of a reframe and people struggle to reframe themselves when they're in that challenging yeah. situation so that's something we can definitely do more of for each other and actually just helping people reframe and see the situation that they're in if it's not great they'll learn from it or they can learn from it if they choose to have the right mindset and I suppose that the only thing I would add to that is that sometimes I tell myself, one thing that I do tell myself is, I know that this might feel horrible now. <laughs> I'm sure that in a few years time, you're going to reflect on this and you're going to really value what you learned from it. Mm -hmm. And I can 100% put my hand on my heart and say that that's true of every negative experience that I've had you look back on it and sometimes you go wow that was horrible but oh my gosh I'm so much more resilient now I've you know got more strength or you know you 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 in life you're unconsciously developing strategies aren't you and applying them so all of all of the experiences whether good or bad are, are, are really useful and you are such a people listening to this won't have any idea about how significant those words are because you've been through some pretty rocky stuff in the past and um you know stuff that people would have found very very challenging and and um you know just off the chart in terms of kind of almost breaking people but you have bounced back to be this person who doesn't stop smiling the energy radiates from you your passion the way you apply everything that you have taken from your good and not so good experiences um is just is awesome and I think um I'm so pleased that you have found Oomph as, a, as an organization to be part of I'm so pleased that they found you um and yeah amazing things that are going to carry on happening in the future I'm sure so thank you so much Sarah for joining me I'm really really grateful um and I will look forward to hearing about all the next things that you end up doing because you have got a lot I know your head is kind of, sort of ideas that you want to keep developing and as your company gets bigger and more established you will be making um you'll carry on disrupting and carry on sort of shaking up uh, what people think of as the norm so I look forward to watching that space um, so thank you so much Sarah thank you thank you for joining me today on the beyond the water cooler podcast I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to engage and thrive. I'm always about providing real value and so I need your help. Please rate the podcast and review it to let me know what you have enjoyed and found helpful. Maybe you also have ideas about specific topics or guests who you'd like to hear from in the future. If you would like to explore any of the points covered in these episodes, I would love to hear from you. Let's continue the conversation. Email me at it's time for change 
or connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the show notes. Please do let me know what inspires you. That way I can make sure what I'm talking about is most helpful. Until next time, bye for now.